Man, y'all are going to have to wake up. I had a shot of coffee. I don't know what y'all been doing with your time. I had a shot of coffee before I came in. I know Wednesdays are hard, but I love to liven it up. Hump day. Hump day. Y'all ever seen that commercial? They have t-shirts out now. I got to get one at Target. It says hump day on it. Anyways, well, uh, I um, just real quick before I move into my message, uh, is Kristen here? Crystal. Where's Crystal? Crystal, uh, why don't you come on up, honey? Uh, come on up. It's okay. I won't bite. I promise. Come all the way up. Uh, Crystal has been a member and uh, been a part of our family now for, what, a couple months? How much? A year? A year. A year? About a year. And uh, your house burnt completely down to the ground. Come Not completely down, but you lost pretty much everything. That's what I thought. And so we um, are going to figure out how to help you, first of all. We're, we're uh, asking everybody and anybody that has donations and that kind of thing to help us out. But also, we're going to be doing a benefit for you. Sunday, we're going to be um, selling uh, dinner, lunches out in our foyer. And all the proceeds go to your family to help you guys. <laughs> Hey, and here's the deal. You have a church family that's going to help you, and the Lord is going to bless everything that the enemy tried to steal from you. The Lord is going to replace it. You're going to have better. You're going to have more than enough. And everything that the devil meant for harm, God's going to restore it back to you. Can we just pray for her real fast? Come on up. I'm sorry. I should have had you already up here. Can I have you? Are you, have you both your kiddos? You're missing one, huh? Yeah, she's, she's upstairs. She's okay, come upstairs. on. Y'all uh, stretch your hands forward. Father, I just thank you right now that you're restoring and every bit of a hurt and anger and everything the enemy has tried to throw at them. Father, I curse it at its root and we say this is the beginning of a new fresh start for this family, Father. I thank you that you're restoring everything tenfold. Father, as they strive hard to seek after you, that you would meet them more than enough, more than enough. The Lord says he's going to provide more than enough, that you won't have to worry, you won't live in lack, that everything will be met, every need will be met, and that you will have more than enough. We thank you for it, Father. We ask for peace that passes understanding, Father, that they don't understand what, why this happened, but you have peace to cover it. I thank you for giving them a sound mind. I thank you for giving them the mind of Christ in this situation. I thank you for blessing these kiddos, Father, that they're not, this is not even going to be a hiccup for them, that they're going to move right on and never even look back in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, for res restoration, for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, so y'all, your job is to get the word out there, Facebook the mess out of it, and um, Sunday... That benefit, we're going we're gonna to pray over it, and we're going to make sure that God multiplies it, and we're going to take care of you guys. I love you very much. Very much. Okay. So that's your job, is to get the word out there, spread the, spread the word. We're going to have this benefit for them, and um, buy more than enough for your family. Buy some for the guy down the street, your neighbors, whoever. Just buy, buy all the spaghetti you can find for lunch, Okay. All right, so um, I don't know how many of you ha were with me when I preached uh, Moments That Made Us. Some of you, I can tell some of you were here, some of you might not have been here. Uh, Moments That Made Us is something that God laid on my heart at the beginning of the year concerning uh, our heritage. Not necessarily uh, biblical history, but things that happened to us in the last century, maybe even two or three centuries, and uh, what led us, led us to where we are as the church right now, where we are right now. There are things that happen that we don't study unless we go to theology school that made us and, and made our religion, made, made what we believe, changed the church as a, as, as a whole. Uh, we talked about Martin Luther last, uh, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, um, who, uh, if you remember correctly, talked about sola fide. Y'all remember that phrase? Sola fide, where he talked about uh, grace and how uh, grace through faith is how we get our salvation. Amen? 
So we talked about that a lot. And look, if you want to hear about the Martin Luther Revolution and all that good stuff, I'm sure they, have, they can get you a CD of it so you can go backwards, listen to that one. But now we're going to be talking about the same moments that made us. I skipped one whole movement. I'm going to come back to it. The Great Awakening, huge, huge in the Christian faith. But I'm skipping it because we're, we're still in February. We're not quite in March even though all the Valentine's candy is sold, and they have, we, are, we are already on Easter eggs at Target. We are already there. But I'm think, we are still in February, and uh, in fact, I know we're still in February because it says it right there. We're still in February. And because of that, it's Black History Month, and I, uh, I wanted to, I've been studying some of the major uh, revolutionary men in African-American uh, culture for us. And one of those was William Seymour. How many of y'all know, if you don't know who William Seymour is, you're about to know, okay? William Seymour is the man that God used to bring about the Pentecostal movement. And yes, that's what we're going to be talking. Just so happens that that's what we're going to be talking about, even though my husband talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit Sunday. So I was like, babe, they're going to think that's all we preach about. He's like, I don't care. It's what you got. Go with it. Maybe that's what the Lord wants to talk about right now. So we're going to be speaking about the Pentecostal movement. Um, let, me, uh, let me come back to my notes real fast. I get so excited when I talk about it, I start to lose myself and start blabbing. When we talk about the Pentecostal movement, young Christians or young people in general, just young people that have been saved since they can remember and they're just young, they don't know any better. When, they, when you say the word Pentecostal, they think of no makeup, long hair, denim skirts down to their ankles, no TV. Isn't that what y'all think of? That's actually a religion that was based off of something biblical. Pentecost is actually a word that is very biblical, and it was found in the Bible. So we like to throw the baby out with the bathwater in America, and we say, oh, that's no good. Well, no, Pentecost is biblical. But Pentecostal is something that has, is, takes many different forms, in, uh, many different looks. And just women that have no makeup on, long hair, wear long skirts, that doesn't represent just Pentecostal, okay? Um, when we say Triumph Church is a spirit-filled church, that's because we take our roots from the Pentecostal movement. And spirit-filled is the new way to say Pentecostal. <laughs> spirit-filled doesn't mean we have lots of spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? It actually means that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues and laying on of hands. And we believe that everything that the disciples had at Pentecost, we can have it too. Okay? So we go beyond salvation and we believe in several different things that the God has to offer. So that's what we mean by spirit-filled church. So let's see here. Did you know that 600 million trace their religious beliefs back to the Pentecostal movement? 600 million. I'm going to read you a quick scripture. Uh, Acts. Can you all go to Acts for me? If you all don't have my, I know we had some problems. Oh, yeah, you all are on it. I love it. Okay, Acts chapter 1 verse 3. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he, being Jesus, appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he, he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, I'll go back for one second. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. It's very biblical. So, this is all those people that are now doing what the Lord said. They're waiting in the upper room, and they're waiting for the Lord to give some kind of promise to them. They're not even sure what it looks like, right? They've been baptized with water. They've been saved. They've been following Jesus around. They've seen healings. They've seen dead people raised. 
So they're not even sure what this promise looks like. It's outside the box, okay? On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Is that where I stop right there? I don't know if I gave you more. Okay. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Okay. Here's the deal. When the Lord moves... It's typically outside of the box. He is a creator, is he not? He created the heavens and the earth. He, he created animals. He created humans. He's a creator. He likes to show himself in creative new ways. He knew that we as a people needed power on earth, that we couldn't just be saved, but we had to be filled with power. So he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to put fire on top of all of their heads. Now, honestly... Just be honest with, with yourself right now. You don't have to raise any hands or anything like that. But if you're sitting in a room and you're waiting on some kind of promise that the Lord, and all of a sudden flames start flaming up on your head, don't you think you'd be a little scared and run for the hills? I'm not going to lie to you. I would start throwing water on people's heads. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. At our wedding, uh, my husband and I are sitting at the table. We see this big ruckus over by <laughs> over by the cake table and my uncle Maz who pastors in Humble had bent over and he had put way too much aerosol hairspray in his hair that day he had bent over and a candle had caught his whole head on fire and his wife who was trying to save his life by the way can we give her credit for that took a, pi a picture of uh, punch and splashed it on top of now he's drenched in punch he was so humiliated, he left his kids and his children and drove back to Houston. <laughs> we don't mention that fiery Holy Spirit situation to him. He doesn't talk about it. He goes silent on everyone in the room. Anyways, I had to throw that in. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to tell the story. And so, <laughs> so if the Lord moves and he moves in a different way, are we prepared for that? Are we prepared for it to look different? Are we prepared for people to mock? Are we prepared for everything that comes along with a real move of God? You know, Martin Luther, if you remember the last thing we discussed, Martin Luther started a war. It started a war, like priests hunting him down and soldiers trying to kill him. And it started a full-on war. Are we prepared to embody and embrace whatever God wants to do? The next real move of God. Because I promise you that in the Bible it says that before he comes back that there will be a revival on this earth. And he won't do it the same way. Because he's a creator. And he likes to show himself in new ways. You know, when the Bible says uh, that the angels say, holy, 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 in Revelation, I'm pretty sure it's Revelation. Theologians say that they believe the reason why the angels say, holy, 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 is because they get a new glimpse of the Lord and his character. And they don't have anything else to say but holy in the next picture, holy in the next picture, holy. It's like there's so many layers to God, we'll never even comprehend them all. So if we just learn to accept that he's probably going to move in not the same way he did last time, then we'd probably be so much further along as a church. Amen? I have to have this water. That coffee, man, it's getting to me. All right. So Pentecost is very biblical. Let's go here. Uh, back up to the early 1900s, uh, late 1800s, there, this is where the church was. Remember I said you have to place, the last time I spoke with you about this, we, we decided we have to place where we were, where we are, and where we're going. Remember that? As a church, as the body of Christ. What we've learned thus far where we're at as a church 
and the vision for the future. Amen? So in the, in the late 1800s, 1900s, are y'all ready to get all uh, professional on me and school-like? Y'all ready to take some notes? Who has good handwriting? Come on, y'all know somebody in here has good handwriting. Come on. Miss Catherine, you got good handwriting? You don't have good Londa, baby. <laughs> Pastor Londa. Okay, come on. I just need your help. Because uh, I have the worst handwriting in the world, and it not only is the worst, it just goes cockeyed as soon as I start. And so we, I need your help. This is where the church was. There was first work of grace. Put that at the top. First work of grace. Leave enough. First work of grace. There you go. First work of grace. And for the church, this is salvation. This is what they understood to be salvation. Remember salvation by grace through faith. Remember, sola fide, we went through all that this last time. Okay, put a dash mark and put salvation. Okay, now, from Wesley, we skipped over this, but through the Wesley holiness movement in the 1800s, there's the second work of grace. Can y'all see that? Y'all can see that? Awesome. Right on. Brother Ahmad's on it tonight. Okay. Second work of grace, who can guess that? Give me a good guess. You're not going to get an F. I don't have a report card to give you. Second work of grace. Anybody? Look at you go, Uncle Mark. You get an A. You get free coffee out front. There you go. Not from Starbucks. I ain't taking you Starbucks. You can get some free coffee out front, though. <laughs> so, so what they know, the Wesley Holiness Movement brought about the second work of grace, which was sanctification. Who knows what sanctification is? You can stay just right there. Who knows what sanctification is? After salvation, you begin to die to yourself and become a new creation in Christ. Do you know that this is a constant? It's a constant. If you truly believe in salvation and believe that you got saved, the next step is to die to yourself daily and become more like Christ. That is true sanctification. Okay? Now, this is the next thing that we're going to look at, the third work of grace. This is where the church hadn't gone yet. I'm holding it real still for you so you're not all wobbly. This is where the church has not gone yet in the, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Baptism and then put HS for Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is obviously being poured out on the people in the upper room in the Bible. So why is it that this came about in the early 1900s? I believe that the enemy knows that this right here is where the power is. And he squashed it. And he said, no, 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 no. If I, it, th- sure, get them saved, whatever. But if they can't live the life with power, then they'll fall off the face. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll wander like little bitty sheep every which way. They'll just be, they'll be, do this their whole, their whole lives. They'll have no direction at all. They'll have no direction. So why do I believe that this is finally have come about in the 19, early 1900s? It's not because it's not biblical. It's very biblical. It's because the enemy said, I'm going to squash it, and I'm going to cause people to not believe in it, think it's something out, way far out there, something very weird, something that's very mystical, all this junk. No, no, no. It's something that applies to every believer's life. And if the enemy didn't fight us so hard on it, We'd probably, we'd probably be back there since biblical times. The whole church filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'd probably have denominate, whole denominations have cut this completely out of their belief system because it's just too weird. And really, it's just the enemy squashing people's power. Okay, you can sit down right there because I'm going to need you back in just a minute. Y'all give Rakita a little. There you go. The Lord doesn't want wimps. He's building an army. See, here's the key. There are even some religions that are very much current today 
that are still operating in the deep south, very much prevalent, uh, that say that this third work of grace, once until you've done all of these, you can go to heaven. That ain't right. I will tell you that baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you like my father told, told me. He said, God's got a big old feast table. He's got mashed taters. He's got, <laughs> he's got, y'all, that's funny. Laugh at that. Okay, he's got mashed taters. There we go. He's got turkey. He's got uh, dressing. He's got sweet potato pie. He's got the whole spread out. And he said, we start eating turkey and think this is awesome. This is awesome. And that's salvation. And you can't get enough turkey. But there are so many other gifts that the Lord has for us. And if you don't even taste of them, you're totally missing out. This is a gift. This is a gift that he wants to give us. And if you don't taste it and you don't get it, that's just you missing out on sweet potatoes. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. My son put it best when uh, he discovered, um, well, first of all, he loves cheese. I've never seen a kid love cheese other than Alondra. Alondra and him, they love cheese. Like, they can take out a whole bag of cheese cubes on their own. Like, just, just go to town on those jokers. And um, he has a fascination with cheese. And um, he also loves cake. The boy can put away some cake. Those are his two favorite food groups, cake and cheese. <laughs> well, when I got, well, when I got sick, when I had my surgery and Randon had his surgery, Pastor Pam Stovall, who's from New York, knows how to make homemade cheesecake. And so she made this huge, like, 50-pound. I, I promise you it weighed like a small child on a plate. And she brought it to us, and we had it in the fridge, and we would nibble on it here and there. And I get up in the middle of the night with my crutches, and I get up and I hear a noise. And so I peek around the corner and there's Randy. He's got the fridge door open and he's got a fork. And he's just going to town on this cheesecake. And I said, what are you doing? He said, this stuff is awesome. It's cheese and a cake. I mean, it's like the heavens had parted and he had found out what cheesecake was. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we're in Dallas for Christmas and... Uh, my parents say, hey, let's go eat at the Cheesecake Factory. And my son's eyes got like quarter size. And he went, there's a factory? I said, yes, there's a factory. That's like when Christians discover the Holy Spirit. It's been there the whole time. And if you combine them together, you got this wonderful masterpiece called Cheesecake. And why didn't you know about it this whole time, right? I will tell you, Billy Graham was the leading evangelist for that generation. Probably still almost, is Oral Roberts, do you know the numbers? I don't know the numbers on that. I wish I, wish I did. I probably will know them for next time. But oh, uh, Billy Graham is the number one evangelist for the Christian faith for like almost, a, isn't it like a, at least a century, I think? Or he's passed. He's not passed yet, but he did a documentary because he's about to pass or something. I think he is. No, I really, he's very old, and he's like, he's the pastor to presidents. Like, he's very old. Like, he says, these are the things, he did a documentary that says, these are the things I want people to know before I die. Didn't he say that? So, look, I thought he was dead, okay? Anyways, he's not dead. He's very much alive. So, Billy Graham, this, <laughs> he's on his last leg, folks, okay? <laughs> this is taking a turn in the wrong direction. <gasps> Billy Graham has never confessed to believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The man has led more to Christ than any other man I know in my generation. Is he going to hell? No. That's because this is what gets you to heaven. This is what gives you power. God does not want wimps. Wimps will still go to heaven, but wimps will flounder about in their life. You know, like a flopping fish that can't get water, that's what wimps will be in their life. But God wants an army. Are army people wimps? Are army men wimps? No, they are strong and they are full of power. And, and you don't mess with an army man, you know, in a, in a dark alleyway because he's just, you know got power. You know what I'm saying? That's what the Lord wants for his people. I'm going to give you the 
backstory on how the third work of grace came about in the early 1900s. Um, do y'all have my, did y'all get my pictures in? Did you get, did you get my pictures? I had pictures, but I don't know. Yay! Okay, that is William Seymour. William Seymour was a very humble man, and uh, he learned under Charles Parra in Topeka, Kansas, and it was still segregated time, and so all the white kids that wanted to learn theology and learn under Charles Parra sat in the class, but he was hungry, and he said, I, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're ignorant, but it's okay, because I'm going to sit outside the classroom, and I'm going to learn everything that this man has to teach, and I'm going to get a theology degree, even though I can't sit in the room with him. That's humble. That's a picture of an humble man right there. So, Charles Parra talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of uh, speaking in tongues. Some say that Topeka, Kansas was really the birthplace. I don't. I think that the, the Lord was using this revelation that he gave to Charles Parra, and this really is the man that birthed the Pentecostal movement. So, he begins to soak up in 1901, soak up all the theology, all the good stuff. And he moves back to Houston. And when he gets there, he meets a woman that actually uh, has a friend that has a church in Los Angeles, California. This pastor in Los Angeles needs to step down as pastor and is looking for a man to take her pulpit. And so she said, this is the man for the job. And so she goes to L.A., tells the pastor, sends a train fare, okay, So he has all his train fare paid for, and I'm sure if he is a young theologian, he's thinking, yes, this is my break. I'm going to be able to pastor a church, have a family, this is my break. So he gets on a train, and he said from the very moment he he boarded that train, he said, I know that the Lord has called me to Los Angeles. He knew it. He had a deep conviction about it. He gets there right out of the box. I'm telling you this story fast because i got lots more to say. Right out of the box, he gets there and he preaches his first sermon to this church that's been awaiting his uh, um, arrival about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, they don't know anything about this. (laughs) And, you know, some people wonder, well, why? Well, why didn't they know anything about it? Well, a lot of people didn't have Bibles. So they, they relied on people that had Bibles to teach them, and they didn't know how to teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so they stayed away from it, just like the church today, kind of, okay? So he begins to teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, he doesn't even have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the funny part about all this, okay? And this pastor, this woman that's pastoring this church, she escorts him out after the service, she locks the doors. He's supposed to be coming back that night. And she says, I don't think so. And she not only kicks him out, but she locks the door so he can't get in. Epic fail is what that's called today. <laughs> Epic fail. He was a good little Pentecostal preacher. Out of the box, talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know. Uh, and um, so he's homeless now. Do you ever wonder about things that you just knew that you heard from the Lord and they just didn't turn out the way that you thought? You just knew. You just knew there were signs that led you to this place and you had everything paid for and the Lord said follow peace and that he would provide and all of these things began to line out and you just got deadbolts in your face. That's an epic fail right there. You're thinking, what have you been saying to me, Lord? You want me to fail? Is this what you want for my life? How many of you have asked that question? I've asked that question. You want me to fail? You set me up to fail? I've, I mean, I can be real with you. There were moments in my weakness that I've said that before. So he's homeless. He has no money, no job. He's kicked out. So this nice man called Edward Lee takes him in to this house. It's on Bonnie Bray Street. That's why they call it the Bonnie Bray House. And... Um, yeah, there it is. Thank you very much. That's the Bonnie Bray house. And Edward Lee says, man, I, you know, I feel bad for the dude. Just take him in until you know what to do with your life. Why don't you stay, stay here? And so he begins to pray. William Seymour begins to pray. Well, Edward begins to pray with him. And so they begin to pray three, four hours, five hours. They had gotten up to like seven hours a day. And, um, 
And then they began to do Bible studies in this house. And all the people that wanted to hear more about this baptism of the Holy Spirit that were at this church and neighbors, they began to meet at the Bonnie Bray house. Now, here's what's cool. This house still exists. I know. It's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. You need to put it on your bucket list because my husband and I went to Palm Springs. Isn't that where the movie tour thing is? Palm Springs, California? That, I think that's what it is. And um, we went there on vacation because my parents, uh, they, they footed the bill on that one. And so they took us with, with and um, we get there. And my husband's like, I've always wanted to go to Azusa Street. We have to make time for it. I don't care if your parents come with us or not. I don't care if you won't want to come. I'm going. I was like, all right, well, I'm going too. So he calls. They actually have somebody that works there that will tour you through the Bonnie Bray house. And Azusa Street is completely separate. And so we, we went into the Bonnie Bray house, and it is just remarkable. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I get chills even talking about it. They had all these artifacts, pieces that... Um, that just would blow your mind. They had the piano there from where they had led worship during these meetings. They had all of the pieces, artifacts, things from the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, like um, uh, that would just, they would blow your mind. They would blow your mind. Chair that he sat in and prayed all the time. And you're just like, you don't want to be the nerd, but you're like touching it, like as if something's going to happen. If something, you know, like something's going to jump on you. And so, we walk through this Bonnie Bray house, and Randon's like, okay, take me to Azusa Street. Well, first of all, before we leave this picture, the, the Bible meetings got so big that they had to go out on the, the porch, and he would preach from the por porch, and people would fill the uh, yard and just stand out there. So finally, they said, we have to get another place. So that's how they moved to Azusa Street. They got a church called the Azusa Street Mission. Do you have that picture? There it is. Look at all those fancy cars driving. This is the Azusa Street Mission. When Randon and I pulled up, um, I, just, I just know God wants to use him in a, in, a, in a revival way. I just know he does because he has such a yearning for it. He has a passion like I've never seen anybody have a passion for revival. And we got there, and all that was there was a sign that said birthplace, or it said cradle uh, cradle of the Pentecostal movement, Azusa Street Mission. And all there was was a sign, and it, it devastated him. Like he said, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. This, is, this literally has impacted 600 million people's religious beliefs, and there's a street sign. I'm disgusted. He couldn't handle it. And he cried, and he prayed. And I decided, you know, I'm going to pray right beside him. And, and after about an hour, y'all, I got some frozen yogurt because he was praying he was going to town. Uh, <laughs> I love my husband, but, uh, man, he was into it. And so I got, I kept praying, but I ate my frozen yogurt, so you got to take care of yourself, you know. And so uh, <laughs> it broke his heart. It broke his heart. Um, and I know that there have been prophetic words. I know that he has had encounters with God encounters with the Holy Spirit, I know God wants to do something unique through him, through, through this church, through Triumph Church as a whole. Uh, first of all, he's given us tastes. He's given us tastes. I don't, like um, in the 90s, the revival that hit Triumph Church Nederland, Bishop Garlington, who's like, he's like a huge general in the body of Christ, he said one of his biggest regrets was walking away that night. He should have stayed longer. And he, he couldn't get out of a preaching engagement. And he still waits to see if God is going to do what he did there. Uh, he still comes to our meetings with the anticipation that God is going to give him another chance. And I believe he is. I prayed about it. And uh, Triumph Church Beaumont, two years ago, we had just a sprinkle of revival for about was it three months, two months, three months, two months? Where people were just on their face, radical transformations. Unbelievable. God has been faithful to part heaven over Triumph Church multiple times. And I believe that he is going to use this 
uh, use this house because we are not afraid of outside the box. Have y'all seen that commercial that, um, that commercial where that man is outside the box and all the other staff is inside the box? And the man inside the, inside the box, he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get outside the box. He's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's where I feel like the church is stuck right now. That they want revival the way it looks from the previous revivals. Which is like, if people aren't laying in the floor and you're not, you know, getting slain of the spirit and, and all this stuff, it's not a real revival. But that's not really what God wants to do. God wants to do something new. He likes to show himself, his creativity. He, that's what, he likes to show off, if you even want to call it that. He likes to show a different side of his nature and his character. And so it has to be outside the box. And it takes somebody like a William Seymour who faced rejection, faced, said, whatever the cost, I'm going to preach it until it happens. So this is how William Seymour got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he goes to Azusa Street. And they plant this mission. And Edward, they, he tells the whole church, he says, we're going to fast for 10 days. And we're all going to pray to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this church. And so, uh, so they fast for 10 days. It is now the 10th day. And nada. Nada. Okay? Now, you got to know that William Seymour at this point is like, seriously, God? I mean, this is, this is the, the word you've given me in my life, and you're not even going to produce. I mean, we're doing everything we can. He's, you can imagine the kind of pressure that is on the man of God, right? So the 10th day, Edward Lee, the man that took him in at Bonnie Bray House, so you can't tell me that your seeds doing good things for godly people, sowing seed, doesn't take root and cr- produce fruit, okay? Edward Lee says, I need you to pray for me. This is before they go to the Bible study. He says, well, what do you need prayer for? And he said, I want to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, guys, he's like, really? That's what we've been fasting for for 10 days. And you just, it's like fasting and praying for one thing for 10 days. And, you're, you, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, now it's time. You baptize me in the Holy Spirit. We'll see what you didn't know and what William Seymour didn't know is that uh, Um, Edward Lee had had a dream the night before and the disciples had shown up in his dream and had talked him through what was going to happen and how he was going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he already knew that this was going to happen. So he calls him over, he lays hands on him, he says, he starts praying for him. Edward Lee gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. So at this point, William Seymour still does not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At some point, you have to look at yourself and go, what is wrong with me? I am preaching this thing, and I still don't have it. But he is so excited, he runs to to Azusa Street. He tells everybody, Edward Lee has the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Seven more get it, including himself and including his future wife, Jenny. And Jenny, this is, there are stories for days. I tell you, please research Azusa Street. Uh, Google it. You'll find all kinds of stuff on it. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Jenny was his future wife. She gets She's the second one to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And she is so overcome by his presence. Check this out. And this is legit, y'all. I'm not making this stuff up. This is real life, okay? She's never played the piano a day in her life and begins to play fluently and becomes the worship leader for Azusa Street. In a second. In a second. That's why when I said I saw the piano that she was sitting at, you can imagine... Like, I'm just sitting here going, I wish I could have seen it with my own eyes. You know what I mean? They said that the power of God was so strong that literally it's almost as if heaven would open up and there would be this holy silence. And babies that had been screaming previously would be hushed and go silent. Even babies were awed in the presence of God. This is the kind of stories that you read about. We're not talking about a good worship service here, guys. We're talking about when we sing that song, heaven come down, heaven come down. That is what heaven coming down to earth looks like and feels like. He said that he was so humble that there were moments where if somebody got out of hand and like a man would begin to thump his fist like this over and over again, he would William Seymour would come over to him, touch him, and say, 
sir, that's, that's not what the Lord is trying to do right now. And this is all about him and not about you. And at that moment, it would stop. I mean, it was the most peaceful move of God. They even said that it was the most, um, let me make sure I word this correctly. They said it was the, um, hold on, greatest harmony displayed in Christian history. Because it was segregated. This is the time of segregation. There was people from every different culture. You had, you had every type of person, which is just beautiful because it reminds me of Triumph Church, okay? And you had every type of person come together to seek his presence. Think about that. The most harmony, the greatest harmony displayed in Christian history. When it should be whites go to their church and blacks go to their church, these people are all joining together just to seek the presence of God. Do you have a picture of the, uh, yeah, this is some of the people that started Azusa Street. And it looks to me like a 1900s Triumph Church. <laughs> it does. You, you, had, you had rich men and you had poor men worshiping next to, get, to each other. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm so off my notes. I get so pumped and I just can't even stay focused. We are called to live in power. I'm going to read a couple more scriptures to you. Let me see here. A couple more scriptures to you. I'm going to read. Did I already? uh, Luke 24 verse 46. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the... Until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit, every time you look it up in the Bible, it is equivalent to power. If we stay powerless as a church, we cannot truly conquer things in our life. Don't even, like, we can be all broad and general and talk about the body of Christ, but let's just bring it home to us personally. If we are not constantly being filled and refilled, yes, we're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he says he will fill and refill us, refresh us, that we are to exercise that power on a daily basis. It says that, that we are fighting principalities. We're not fighting for flesh and blood. The things that you think are earthly and what we have to deal with are really not, it's all a facade. Everything is a spiritual war. Everything is a spiritual war. And until we grasp that and realize that our power comes from the Holy Spirit, we're going to be wimps. We're just going to be wimps, not moving forward in our life. God wants to do a new thing. I believe that he started, even at Fresh Fire, doing a new thing. I think that the, the hungrier we get, the more unified we get in prayer. That The more that we search the more God is ready to pour out, pour out his spirit, open up heaven. Don't you want to be a part of something greater than yourself? You know that tongues, it says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is a sign and a wonder to the non-believer. Okay? What is a sign and a wonder? A sign and a wonder is something you cannot explain. So how... Do you explain it to somebody that does not have an open mind about it? You can't because it's a sign and a wonder. All you can say is, if you want more, go for it. That's all you can do. Holy Spirit is equal to power. We have to be exercising it. We have to be living it. In 1 Corinthians, uh, did I put my scripture up there? There you go. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Stop there. That's what we just talked about. Don't be so broad and general. Know that it is to edify yourself. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, what is going on? Well, I will tell you what is going on. Anything you don't know that you should be praying, it's the perfect prayer. 
The Lord knows exactly what you're saying. He knows exactly where the need is. You could be speaking in tongues and be praying for somebody that's on their last breath down the road and speaking life into them and not even know it. That's the power and the beauty of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Notice this next scripture. I wish you could all speak in tongues. Back up. I wish you could all speak in tongues. Back up again. I wish you all could speak in tongues. The people that say that this is not for our time, it was just for when Jesus walked the earth, are dead wrong. I wish you could all speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. The language is for you and the Lord. And unless there's an interpretation of it, how many of y'all ever witnessed that in the church before? Where, where someone stands up, they speak in tongues, someone from across the room stands up, and they give a, um, thank you, interpretation. There's two different types here. It's two different types. If you get up and you speak in tongues and there's no interpretation, it's really not doing anything but weirding the other person out, especially if they're not open to it. You're just straight tripping them out, okay? Try not to scare them out of the church. We are trying to love them in the church, okay? <clears throat> the, the speaking in tongues is an intimate thing for you and the Lord. If it happens in church, it better be God-ordained and that you better know that you know that you know that there's about to be an interpretation because it does not edify the body if you don't have interpretation all it does is trip people out especially this generation this generation has all sensors in the air going i'm just waiting for something weird to happen before i run out the door that is what's going on that is our generation i will tell you that i am birthed right out of the charismatic movement I am birthed right out of the charismatic movement. I was Randy's age, my son, who's seven, when I saw uh, demoniacs swapping on the ground and people being cat. I mean, like, I saw it all. And I will tell you that, that during my teenage years and college years, I struggled because I said, church is just too straight weird. And I backed away from it. I don't want anything to do with that. I did not want to have anything to do with that because it... It just tripped me out. I didn't want to see all of it until someone explained it to me. But the problem is, is that it's so people want to push it on the unbeliever. It's something that happens over time. It doesn't, some people it happens immediately. My father, he got saved out of addiction of alcoholism and baptized in the Holy Spirit. One altar call, boom, sweated down, standing in a puddle of his own sweat. It doesn't always happen like that. It's, it's, it's steps for some people. And if you thrust them into it, they will resent you. And they will run for the hills and they'll never want to taste anything else you have to offer. We have to be smart about it, but we also have to pursue power. We have to help the baby Christians, the young Christians, understand what power is and how to get it. Where is the life source? When you're ready to stop floundering, I have the source. Not, you're going to get it whether you want it or not. Ah! <laughs> I had to wake some people up there falling asleep. <laughs> I'm closing. I don't know about you, but Randon and I and our staff are ready to feel God in a new and fresh way. We are standing outside of the box. This is the way I visually see our church right now. I see church as a whole, and I see a lot of people that can't handle it. Um, you know how the, the pastor that bolted William Seymour out of the church because he was preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes church people wouldn't know revival if it slapped them in the face. They wouldn't know it if it slapped them in the face. They'd lock him out. They'd lock Jesus right out. <laughs> it's the truth. And I, and I have been dealing, Randy and I have been dealing with this. Like, are we afraid, are we willing to put it all in line? And say, it's all you, God, whatever you want to do. We will not manufacture anything. It's going to be you or it's going to be nothing. And we're out here on the box and we're out here like, 
not necessarily at the level we, William Seymour was at by any means. Am I even trying to suggest that? But we're standing outside the box going, okay, you brought us this far. Now what, Lord? Now what, Lord? We've got the seeker-sensitive church that does not talk about anything but salvation. Lord knows nobody's getting sanctified in that church. Uh, we got over-the-top Pentecostals that say, if, you're not, if you don't have, speak in tongues fluently, you're going straight to hell. Where are we, Lord? Where, we just want you. Where, can you just find us right now in open heaven? Because we don't care what it looks like. It may look a little different. We may get mocked. I don't really care at this point. We just know that in your presence, people are changed. So I don't know about you, but as a church, we're outside the box, and we're ready for some people to step out of the box with us. And some people have not stepped out of the box. In fact, they've gone to a whole nother box. <laughs> they say, ah. We, we want it to look and feel like the way that we first felt the Lord. It's okay. It's, that does not make them a bad person. I just want to be used in a different way. Amen? Why don't you stand with me tonight? Father, I just thank you for all of the moments that brought us to this place as a church. All of the fathers that pioneered the way for us. Father, I ask that that anointing, that pioneering, go after God attitude and spirit would fall fresh on Triumph Church. Father, that we would be set apart, that we would not manufacture anything, that it would be all you. Anything you want to do, we accept it with open arms. If it looks silly and we get mocked, we don't really care at this point. We're just out here going, use us. Do something new through us. Let us be the vessel that carries your fresh anointing, Father. I, I ask that your power and your presence would begin to strengthen your people for this week. I think I, I ask that as the days progress towards Sunday, that they would be filled and refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Filled and refilled. Father, that as they begin to speak in their, in their prayer language, Father, I thank you that they would feel something begin to take place in their spirit. That they would begin to become radical changers in the spirit. Radical army men and women built to change the kingdom of God. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you that there are not going to be any wimps at Triumph Church, that you are building a strong army, a strong army that would look and stand in the face of the enemy and curse every tactic, every plot, every plan, Father. I just thank you for pouring out a fresh new thing on us. Whatever it is that's in the way, whatever mountain, whatever thing that we need to change, begin to show us. Father, make it evident to us, Father. Make it evident to us, even personally, Father, as we search hard after you, that you would begin to highlight things in our hearts that we forgot were there so we can get rid of it. Make us ready and willing and, and, and our hearts pure and our, our, our minds unified after one cause in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your presence here tonight, Father. We thank you for showing up. We thank you for your word. Oh, you're so good to us. Amen. Amen. We all have a lovely week. And listen, I will see y'all here Sunday with my husband at our new service time at, yay, I know, right? I'm very excited. At 10 o'clock. Y'all have a blessed week.